This is the Clink Law Podcast, providing clarity to the many gray areas surrounding estate planning so you feel empowered to take action. Now here's your host, Peter Clink. Hello, it's Peter Clink, Clink Law, LLC. Uh, I'm a trust and estate attorney. Little introduction, originally from Minnesota, came to Philadelphia to go to NYU when I was in the Navy. So thanks to the Navy, go Navy. Uh, and uh, after I got out of uh, NYU in the Navy, I stayed in Philly. Um, licensed in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Florida, New York, and Minnesota, where I'm originally from. But right now, primarily practice in Pennsylvania and in New Jersey. So today we're talking about, well, death and taxes. Specifically, talking about revocable trusts. They're called revocable. People call them living trusts often. It's a good marketing ploy. It sounds nice. They're living. For legal terms, they're revocable trusts. Now, as we talk about this, realize, guys, I'm giving you my background and experience in it. The rules themselves that apply to you depend on your jurisdiction. It depends on what state you're in, what county you're in sometimes. Whether they're useful or not depend on your assets specifically, your family. (laughs) Everybody's family's got its own challenges, right, and issues. And, of course, when you're doing it, the laws that apply. I'm talking about you now, but I don't really know when you're you're doing this. So uh, take my information. Hopefully it's helpful to you. If you should uh, decide you want to do a revocable trust or, or not, if you're doing a will, make sure that you take the information and verify it with your professional that, that you're dealing with in your jurisdiction. You know, make sure that you're getting the best plan that fits for you, right? It's good that you're doing the research and, and getting information by listening to things like this, but you, you really need to make sure with the professional, it's, it, everything's a good fit with you. Now, let's talk about revocable trusts. What is a trust? Right? Let's start with that. Uh, everybody wonders, uh, you, you talk about them, I guess, but what is this trust thing? So why do we have it? Well, we, we got it from the British. <laughs> Our legal system is is from them. Uh, they brought it over with William Penn and everybody else. And uh, we decided to keep it once we we broke up our, our relationship in the 1770s. Uh, now, why did the British have trusts? Well, again, I'm going to greatly simplify this, guys. Greatly simplify it. Back in the day, the British system was that everything went to the eldest son. Right? If you were a daughter, tough. Uh, if you were a second or a third son, you know, become a priest, join the Navy, capture some friendships or something. But, you know, you're not going to get a big part of the family fortune because it all went to the eldest son. Look, great system for keeping the family fortune together. If you've ever been uh, to uh, vineyards in France, you'll see that a lot of them are chopped into little pieces because in France, every kid has to get a piece of the inheritance. And if something gets really expensive like land, then all you can do is chop it into little pieces. British system? Nope. Everything to eldest son. End of story. Okay, well, in that system, every once in a while, you're going to have a guy die, and he's going to leave everything to his eldest son, who's a baby. Now, what do you do? Uh, He's a baby. He has a right to all these things, but can't run them. Uh, So what do you do? Well, they they tried a lot of things. Uh, Originally, a lot of them ended up with, you know, the king getting a cut of the action. But eventually, they came up with the idea of this trust, where you could have the right to stand up in the village square and uh, announce to everybody that you were granting the power to your trusted friend to hold on to your assets for your son's benefit until he got older. There you go. Three things. There's a grantor, a person who grants the power and gives birth to the trust. You have a trustee, the person you trust to manage the trust. And you have the beneficiary who benefits from the whole arrangement. Same words we still use today. Now, back when these first came into being, these were irrevocable trusts. You couldn't revoke them because, well, the only person who could revoke them was dead, right? So you had an irrevocable trust 
So the trust owned these things. And now what's the real relationship here? Well, the, the trustee's running the trust. Remember, the, the trustee is, is uh, not the owner. They're just managing. So if they got divorced, if they got sued, it's not their money. So the trust can't be dragged into their chaos. Uh, if the beneficiary got themselves into financial trouble, the trustee could pay their bills. But again, the, the kid didn't own these things. So the kid's creditors couldn't get in to protect them from the, the kid's creditors. Now, they changed over time. They adopted to new ideas, such as people finally realized maybe giving the kid the farm at a certain age wasn't the best. Maybe it was better to keep it in the trust forever. So if you keep in the trust forever, if the kid married unwisely or got himself into creditor's trouble uh, problems, he, he didn't own the farm, couldn't lose it. And that way the farm could be held for generations of eldest sons without being lost. Another change came as revocable trusts. Now, again, I'm going to greatly simplify it, guys, as we go through this, but, but the, the concept's there. So, you know, we had these irrevocable trusts. Great. And, well, you know, they were fine. We got them from the British. We kept them. But uh, eventually somebody thought, maybe we should apply this to our probate system. Now, what's probate? Let's go to that. Uh, guys, every country, every state, every re religions and cultures, they all have a way of sorting out who gets the stuff when somebody dies. Right? There's got to be a system in place. Otherwise, everybody's like, it's chaos. So, you know, creditors are paid. Taxes are paid. Land is transferred. It still has good title family gets what they're supposed to, like there's a system. Well, that we call probate. That's all it is. It's a process of dividing up your things and making sure they go to the right people when, when you die. Well, that could be the IRS. It could be your girlfriend. It could be your boyfriend. It could be the family or a charity, right? But it's the right system, uh, the right recipient. Now, probate in some states, pretty straightforward. In fact, most states, very straightforward. So uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Minnesota, you know, name a state really except we're getting to it, few, uh, very reasonable system to make sure that happens. Now, there's three states that people usually talk about where probate's a pain. California, New York, Florida. Doesn't have to be. They just made it that way, and it's still there. So back in the day, supposedly, there's a attorney in California who sat back after filing a will and going, Ugh, what, a, what a pain that was, and thought, maybe there's a way we can avoid probate. Maybe there's a way we can avoid this system and make it easier. We don't have to go in. Ah, well, what they do? He came up with this idea. What if I formed a trust so I'm the grantor and I form it for me as trustee, for me, the beneficiary? And I'm all three. I'm grantor, trustee, beneficiary. And I make it so that I can revoke it whenever I want. So I can put things in it. It exists, right? It owns my house, but I can take it back if I want to. And the house is being held for me, the beneficiary, so I can live there. All right. Now, I imagine when this concept was first floated, all the other trusts and state attorney this fellow knew said, hey, you can't do that. We've never done it that way. That's crazy. Reality is, why not? And, and they did. And, and it caught on. And it's all pretty common at this point. So you can form a trust, a revocable trust, that you are in charge of as the trustee. You are the beneficiary of. And what's the advantage? Well, you transfer your things into it. And then... At your death, you don't own those things. Right? We don't have to file your will to get control of them because trust didn't die. Trust just says at your death, here's what we do. Replaces your will. And it goes from there. So you have the, the trust uh, in place, and now nobody has to file the will. So in some states, it saves you a lot of hassle, a lot of money, a lot of big filing fees. Now, 
convenient, but guys, th- this isn't like, you know, the, the cure for cancer or something. You still have to file your taxes, right? It doesn't forgive you from taxes. So uh, if you die because you still kept control over it, it's still going to be subject to inheritance or state taxes. So what do people hire us attorneys to do? A lot of the time it's to do the tax returns. We do tons of them. Uh, they're weird returns. And if you don't know how to do them, it's just kind of a haze to have an attorney do it. But okay, you have to do that whether you have a revocable trust or you use a will. It's the same tax return. Uh, transferring real estate, selling real estate. When you die, do we avoid filing the will? Yes. But if the house is being sold, do you in general have an attorney help make sure that process is done correctly? Well, yeah. So it's the same process whether you have a revocable trust or not. Or even if you're just transferring the deed out to your children. Again, you usually have an attorney to prep it and file it, and and there you go. Uh, It's the same whether it's from a will or from a revocable trust. So a lot of the things that you'd hire people to help uh, prepare or do after you die are going to be the same either way. You avoid the trip to the courthouse, right, of filing the will. That's what you avoid, and any filing fee. But in most states, the filing fees aren't that big, especially states like Pennsylvania where the there's an inheritance tax. Like they're, they're already getting their money. They, they don't need to charge a big filing fee because they're already getting their money, uh, and that's the same money you're going to pay either way. Now, what does it really do for you? Because it's a tool. It, it does have a purpose, right? It, it's good. But you have to make sure it's it's worth it. So, Because uh, remember, you have to fund it. Uh, I am kind of skipped over that a little bit. You have to put stuff in it. If you just form revocable trust and do nothing, it's done nothing for you. You have to transfer in your deeds, your business, you know, your bank accounts and things. And all that takes time and money, which your kids can do when you're dead or you can do when you're alive, right? They can do it with a will or you can do now. Uh, now, is it worth it? Well, again, for most people, it's not illegal. It's just you're not getting much bang for your buck with this thing. But let's say you have real estate in different states. You have real estate in Colorado and Minnesota and Pennsylvania, and you die in Pennsylvania. Well, uh, to to manage that property, we'd have to file your will in Pennsylvania, and then we'd have to go to those other states because every state oversees the process it uses for uh, transferring real estate, and they, they jealously guard it. So they're not going to let you just show up or your kids show up as a Pennsylvania uh, executor and say, hey, I'm going to transfer this deed, they're going to want to oversee the process. They want to see the will. It's called ancillary probate. You have to go there and say, please recognize that we have this right in your state. So if you have that in a bunch of states, it's a hassle. It's not the end of the world. It's a hassle. So are you saving them some time and money? Yes. Right. There you go. Um, Let's say that you're just getting older. You need some help, right? Especially if Alzheimer's or dementia is involved. Uh, you want your kids to help, but you're not ready to give up control yet. You don't need their help now, but you know you're gonna, right, someday. So you can form a revocable trust. You could put all your assets into it. You can manage it, do it on your own. But when the time comes to turn over for them to take over and take control and help out, it's just really easy because they're already co-trustees. They have the right to act independently. They just step in and start handling things much more simple, just more streamlined. So there's reasons to use a revocable trust, but it's a tool. It's a tool that you should use when it's it's, it's warranted. Um, now, if you want to come in and talk to us about that, we, uh, happy to. We do that all the time. Happy to, to work with you. We, we work throughout Pennsylvania and New Jersey at this point. Happy to, to walk with you. Or if you just want to this point after hearing this saying, well, that might be for me. 
uh, talk to a local professional by you. Run it by them. You know, you're, you're more armed than you were before listening to this, but you really need to talk to somebody to make sure all this is a good fit for you before you do actually th- take on anything. Um, so that's it. That's a little bit more about death and taxes and, and trusts and revocable trusts specifically. I will uh, be doing some more of these, so happy to try to help out and help you uh, pick up a few things. So if you want to look around at you know, if there's any more and listen to, that'd be great. Uh, take care, guys, and, and, and be well. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Clink Law Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and share.